I just have a couple announcements for you guys as we get going. First off, we have a Connect party tonight at 5 p.m. And so if you are new, newer, or just feel like you want to hang out with some people tonight and get to know people a little bit better, 5 p.m. tonight at the Welcome Center, they will give you directions so you know where you are supposed to go. As part of tonight's, we are having some stone-fired pizzas. So if you do not show up, I am still okay with it because I will eat them all. And I'll be like, whatever, I don't care if you show up or not. Well, I do. You should show up. It would be great. But <laughs> if you don't, I will eat all the pizzas. I, I know some people are like, I went to the last one. All I had was some desserts. Well, you can come to this one too if you want to, I suppose. But there you go. Uh, the, 5 o'clock tonight, there's uh, directions and stuff at the Welcome Center. Uh, secondly, uh, a lot of people have been asking about this. And if it's not you, well... Don't tune me out and listen to me anyway when, when I say this, but uh, there's a lot of times when we got to move chairs or tables for certain events or things that happen around here. And so what we thought about doing was just having a sign-up sheet for people who are willing, if you have time, to come and help with certain things like that. When there's an event that's coming up, we will just shoot a blast email out, and you can just respond if you can make it or not. You don't have to move chairs every time we do it. You don't have to move tables every time we move tables. But if you are someone who'd be willing to be on a list that when we need something done like that, you wouldn't mind coming and helping out uh, at the Welcome Center. You can just sign up, and we'll just shoot you an email every once in a while when there's something like that that happens. You can say, yeah, I can be there. No, I can't, whatever. But if you're willing to help, there's that. Also, on the sidewall, uh, right next to the Welcome Center, there's uh, these little things hanging that have different ways so you can begin to help out around Element on a Sunday. We're going to have more that are uh, during the week kind of stuff and outside of Element, but for now, we tried to get that up so you can see some of the stuff that's taking place that we need help with. So if you'd like to, you can grab one of those off of the wall and find different ways to start serving because we are a people who are called to serve. Yes, yes, that'd be great. Uh, lastly, uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about this Band of Brothers uh, fundraiser. Band of Brothers is a nonprofit in our community that reaches out to help vets who have come back and try and connect them back into a community so they're not isolated and alone. And one of the one of the ways they do that is with this softball team. And so they sold tickets for the last three weeks for this uh, this raffle they were doing. Apparently, I didn't win because I didn't get a phone call. Uh, but they were selling raffle tickets here to help pay for all of these vets' softball fees and stuff. And just from Element alone, you guys paid for their entire next season of softball for everybody. Way to go. Maybe it just says you like raffles. I don't know. But... Uh, but apparently you, you got it all done. Hey, Phil, is the air conditioner on? It's really hot. Or is it just me? Is it you? Yeah. Oh, it's warm. Yeah, you say it's warm. You know, it's sometimes, you don't see the stuff that I see in services. You think I don't see the stuff that you do? I do. Uh, <laughs> but every once in a while, I'll see someone like in the back like this. And I'll be like, you have no idea how I feel. I feel the same way. But I can't be like, oh my goodness. You know, because we record these things. And in the middle of a message, I can't be like, oh, hey, it's really hot in here. People be like, what, what what just happened? Did it turn to a nightclub? What? So, so uh, welcome to Element. If you're new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On the, on the community tables throughout the room, there are these sermon notes. Uh, you can open them up and go some notes and deeper what we're talking about, some questions to ask one another to go a little bit deeper. Also, there's this Proverbs reading list where we're taking 19 weeks to go through the book of Proverbs. And if you would like to read through the book of Proverbs by the time we're done, you can take that and read what's on there per week and stuff. Be great. If you have a smartphone, you can download an 
an app. It is called Uversion. You click on more and then events, and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Uh, this is Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and it says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence, that's the word for fear, for God. Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that you would take us and you would, you would change our hearts to understand that there can be a good view of what fear is. That we can be a people who live and, and walk out this deep, meaningful relationship we have with you in ways that bring you great glory as we live in great joy. And that we would understand what that means and how we live out in your wisdom and the world around us. So teach us this morning what it means to properly fear you. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing a series based out of the book of Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible, if you don't know. Uh, Proverbs is what is known as wisdom literature. It's meant to help give us instruction on how to be wise, to live in God's ways in this world. And the way we do that is by honoring God first above all things, and then taking the knowledge that we gain throughout life and living that out in the wisdom that God then provides. Uh, by living in true wisdom, we'll begin to affect the world around us in which we live, and we'll interact with it a little bit differently than we have, we'll start to create this thing called a counterculture, not in a negative way where we hate our culture, but in a way that we bring life and hope and goodness again. All the way back in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis and the Bible, part of man's job was to create a God-honoring culture in the world around us. So fast forward from creation to 2018, how have we been doing? See, we laugh, right? We're like, yeah, I guess, I guess not, not great. Even at times when we think we have made a God-honoring culture, many times we haven't. I mean, think about today, just the word evangelicalism, right? Evangelicalism ceased to be this idea of people who put Jesus first above all things, and it becomes a political movement. Guys, if we are followers of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus first. It is so important. People today will look back at the good old days, what's come before us, and say, oh, what's wholesome values, oh, when America was great. You've got to be careful about doing that because when people talk about those times, racism was rampant. And they will say, well, you know, in the good old days without the racism. Well, during that same time, women were undervalued in their roles and in their lives. Well, without the racism and the chauvinism, right? Well, we, well, we have to do is stop looking back. We've got to look forward to what God is calling us into, new and fresh, trusting God and his goodness, be willing to live out the way he calls us to live. And the Proverbs tells you the way that you begin to build this new God-honoring culture begins in one place, and that is the fear of God. If you weren't here last week, you're probably like, well, what does that mean? I would encourage you to listen to last week's message, uh, subscribe to our podcast. You can actually watch it online, but you don't want to look at this for another half an hour, so you probably won't listen to the podcast. Essentially, in the Old Testament, there are two words for the word fear. Uh, one means terror, and the other means reverence. And so in the Old Testament, it's really not that hard many times to tell the difference. In the New Testament, it is kind of hard because a lot of times the same word is used. Though It's the word where we get our word phobia from, like phobia like of spy and clowns and all that kind of stuff. It's that word fear. And it's used in different places, but it still means those two different things. So you always have to look at context for what it means. And I quoted to you Tim Keller last week who said this, the fear of God, the holy fear, is an inward condition of awe and amazement before the glory and wonder and power and the grace of this God. 
Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I want to try and help you to understand the proper fear of God, but also fear of God in general this morning. The book of Psalms says that some people are fools when they cease to believe in God. Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. In Proverbs chapter 1, it shows there are more fools than that. There's a stupid fool and a shameful fool and a stubborn fool. And these all show laziness and hating God and his wisdom. And the Bible in Proverbs is clear that wisdom proceeds from living in a life, in a vital relationship with God that begins with an understanding of what proper fear actually means. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs is a book that is structured around a very high view of God and a low view of mankind. It's an effort to keep us away from always trusting our own wisdom and listening to what God actually says to us. If we raise man's wisdom up, there is always a corresponding reduction of the things that God says to us. So Proverbs lays out the proper fear of the Lord is this guiding principle for all wisdom. And it has to remain that way if we're ever going to take the knowledge we gain in life and begin to live that out. Because if we don't have a proper view of God, we can have all the knowledge of the world and we will misunderstand that knowledge. We will misapply that knowledge. We'll misuse misuse that knowledge. And many times we won't even understand why we're so wrong in the midst of it. And so proper fear begins by understanding who God is and who we are not. Uh, one of my favorite authors once said that, that uh, we got to understand that there is a God and he is not you. And the second thing he says is the biggest difference between us and God is God has never once thought he was us. Right, right. Okay, so in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet gets a glimpse of God and his glory. And the angels are singing about God and his holiness. And this is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, who is a prophet of God, gets a slight little sideshow of who God is in his glory, and he thinks he's going to die. I mean, this is someone who saw the wonder and the majesty and the glory of who God is. A lot of non-Christians even today have this weird, you know, type of fear. Sometimes it's superstition. If I walk into a church, lightning will strike me, the walls will fall over. Sometimes people are careful not to anger the man upstairs, not to poke God in the eye in any way. You should really hear some of the conversations I'm a part of when I go and do weddings because usually rehearsals for weddings are at the end of a given week and I haven't shaved and my hair is unkempt. I should have been a beanie with a scraggly kind of, well, junior high girl beard, but you know, I got, you know, I work on it. Right. But, but I, show, I just kind of look a little bit homeless and, and people start, you know, like groomsmen, they're like swearing like sailors and stuff. And they look at me like, you need a handout. Who are you? What are you doing? And then I, and then I tell them, you know, who I am and, and why I'm there and people fall all over themselves. Apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, pastor. Oh, sorry, pastor. It's really bizarre because I'm usually only offended if your joke wasn't funny. Okay. <laughs> But there is this bizarre idea that because of my job, I am closer to God. And when I am there, somehow God decided to show up. I got to tell you, if God wasn't there, there wouldn't be there. Okay, that's just how it works. And if we're believers in Jesus, there should be a different fear in our lives. It should mean something different than terror. It should mean this value. We have such value in our relationship with God that we fear destroying it. We want to do things so we are close to who he is. Do you have someone in your life that you value, that you respect, that you trust? Do you have someone when you talk to them, you actually listen to the words that they say? Maybe somebody where you 
you say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, or, or no, man. Or maybe a place where you become humble when you're in somebody else's midst. This is how it is supposed to be for us when we listen to God. God speaks. We listen to the things that he says. What God says matters. It's one of the reasons it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Even this idea of fear. Jesus is called, you know, the Lord, fear of the Lord, this idea of the Lord. Jesus called the Lord. The image of God as Lord is meant to awaken our imaginations, to see a picture of a well-armed yet peace-loving noble king who has authority over his kingdom and he promotes his glory, protects his servants, and he crushes his enemies. And the fear of the Lord is meant to be multi-layered. It includes reverence and respect and awe and love. And, and it has this idea of dreadful terror for those who stand against him, but overwhelming trembling of the grace and the awe of who this king is for those who love and follow. And practically, if we live with a God who is too small to be feared, certain things can happen. And Proverbs begins to talk about this. I'm going to give you a lot of Proverbs this morning. I'm not going to make you open to everyone. But if you feel like we haven't had enough Proverbs so far in Proverbs, today's your holiday Sunday because I got a lot of Proverbs today, okay? So first off, I want to talk about effects of not properly fearing the Lord. They're going to start in Proverbs 1, verse 29 to 31, and it says this. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. Now, here you begin to see cause and effect. We don't properly fear God. We begin our lives will begin to suffer in certain ways. It's what I said earlier about our knowledge. If we don't understand who God is, we'll misunderstand our knowledge. What that means is like as an example, maybe you read the Bible and you, and you stop reading it, not because you don't understand it, because you just don't like what it says and what it's calling you into. Like Mark Twain runs, once wrote this, he says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that concern me, it's the parts that I do understand that really trouble me. See, some people hate true knowledge, and so we won't read certain things. Or if you go to church, you filter out all the things that maybe I say that you don't like instead of actually thinking about them. We won't study the scriptures and what God says when God says certain things. We, people will find people who just agree with them, and they will study those people. There's no accountability. We won't heed Jesus' rebuke in our lives. And what Proverbs tells us, if we don't follow God, how he has revealed himself in our lives, we will have the propensity to create a God in our own minds. And many times when we do that, God looks an awful lot like us. And God tends to agree with everything that we like and disagree with the things that we disagree with. We make this God and we worship it, but that's idolatry because we're essentially only worshiping ourselves. Fools hate knowledge. Fools hate knowledge of who God is and even that there is a God. Does that sound a lot like our current culture? Yeah, it, it does. It does. Because if God doesn't agree with what I want, well, then he's no good to me. Sounds like a lot of church cultures today as well. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. You see throughout Proverbs, this again, this idea of the fool a lot. Not fearing God runs means we run to our own desires. We make ourselves king. And what we decree as king in our lives is what we should then do. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. If we don't have a proper fear of who God is, we become jealous of everybody else. And what everybody else has, and I gotta have that thing, gotta have that. Rather than living the right way that God calls us into because of relationship, we begin to worry about everybody else and what everybody else has. Proverbs 29 verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. When we don't properly fear God, we start to fear someone else. 
We create our own truth. We write our own story. When it's God's story, that's meant to be written over us. We will quote songs and magazine articles and books and other people as sacred text. When we cease to properly fear God, men and women have a high place in our hearts, and God is uh, metaphorically relegated to the kids' table at Thanksgiving. He kind of sits over there. I think think that God is gracious and God is good and we can trust him to always be good. And so we trust him for the words that he says. I was having a conversation uh, with somebody about a year ago, a friend of mine, and we were talking about a bunch of stuff and somehow we got on the subject of hell. It's like, ooh, that's always a good question for Christians to want to talk about, right? Hell, right? And and I believe that hell is real. I believe forever is a very long time. Uh, and I think that sometimes today we misunderstand what hell actually is and what it actually looks like. And, and, and so there's a lot of debate we can have about that. But I believe Jesus talked about it, so it's a real thing. And he said, well, I don't know if I believe in hell. And if there is, no one's going to be there. And I said, well, not the way you talk about Jesus. <laughs> We're friends. We can talk like that, okay? Boy, I'd, I'd hate to be in some of your conversations. You can't just have fun like that. Anyway, but, but it, what he was doing, he was like, well, so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says this. And I'm like, but Jesus says this. And though I may not completely always understand all of those things, I always go with Jesus. And this is what we must be as a people. We always go with what Jesus says, always. Uh, these are effects of properly fearing the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This means we are people who come to God sober-minded. We, the fear of the Lord leads to this knowledge of the things that he wants to show us. It means we don't treat God like movies where it's like, I don't like that part, but I like this part. We don't do that with God. We listen to everything that he says. Proverbs 18, or 16, verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When we have a proper view of God, it stops us from doing certain things. At least makes us think twice. I had this great conversation with somebody last week after services, and they were thinking, thinking about doing this thing. They were planning this thing out. And like, I'm going to go. And then after last week, we talked about, you know, this relationship and proper fear of God. They were like, you know, I want my relationship with God to be first. And they decided not to do this thing because they loved God first. And that's what they understand of what this means. That sometimes when we love God first, it will stop us from doing certain things. Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Uh, right living tends to do wonders for your longevity. This isn't about accidents or karma. It's wisdom of Proverbs. Right living, on average, not always, but on average, extends life. Proverbs fourteen twenty six, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs fifteen thirty three. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 22, verse 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. This is the idea that you live longer, you live better, you have more savings. It's not telling you that God gives you everything you ever wanted. God isn't blessing you to give you everything you want. It's that these are some of the positive benefits that can come when we love God first. So we love God first, high view of God, low view of man. Fools will have lots of things, lots of electronics, lots of beer cans stacked up in their windows. But those who love God above all else begin to live in a place of a lot of wealth because of their wisdom. Not wealth necessarily materially, but wealth in our lives because we're living a different way. Now, let me briefly talk to you about (coughs) why the Lord is to be feared. 
again, if you look at last week, it dealt a lot with the good type of fear and what that looks like, this value and reverence for who God is. And this kind of goes along with that. So I hope you have some of that in mind. Uh, what I'm going to say, again, goes with that. But to understand that God is all-powerful. God can do whatever he wants to do. The most powerful person you have ever met in terms of power or wealth is not even a grain of sand on the sea next to God's power. Okay, So I want to talk to you about who God is to understand this proper view of who he is. First off, Genesis 1 and 2, he is the Lord who created the world. He is the Lord who created the world. So often we want to make Genesis into a book that's about times and dates and wins. 9.30 on a Tuesday night, God hopped on his bike and rode down to late night record shop and created the heavens and the earth. It's like we want to have this idea of when and where it was. That's not the point of Genesis. The point of Genesis is that God did it. And God is in control, and God is all-powerful, and God speaks, and creation jumps into existence. The only thing in creation that doesn't jump when God speaks is us. Us. We're the only one. God says, follow me. We're like, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to do that. It doesn't mean we're powerful. What it means is we're dumb. Okay. This is what the Proverbs would call fools. We're, We're dumb. God has graciously given us a will to to serve him or not. And if we're smart, we'd be people who serve him. In Genesis 3 and Revelation 20, he is the Lord who slays our enemies. We will never understand the whole of Scripture unless we understand that we have an enemy, that war has been declared and, and we lost. It's not God versus the devil in this cosmic struggle. Nothing can stand against God. We have the enemies of Satan, sin, and death. We have the enemies. And so God comes and takes care of our enemies. He slays the dragon. He takes care of our sin on the cross. Uh, with Jesus' resurrection, death is taken care of. God brings us back home again. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, he is the Lord who flooded the earth. You see all the way up, Genesis 1 through 6, that God gets tired of man's scheming and his wickedness. The man keeps saying, I know how to be God better than God. That's who I am. I get to call the shots. And God clearly shows that he is the one who is in ultimate control. In the end, you see that Noah is a guy who was offered grace. And like we are offered grace. Why did Noah build a boat when it wasn't raining? Hebrews 11, 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. How? What kind of fear? In awe-inspiring wonder and majesty of who this God is. God says build a boat, you build a boat. Even if it's a drought, you build a boat. Uh, In uh, Genesis 19, he is the Lord who rained burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. When God got sick, Sodom and Gomorrah sinned against him and others and how they were destroying others around them. God brought judgment. In Exodus 8 through 11, he's the Lord who crushes the Egyptians to bring his people into freedom. God will send wake-up call after wake-up call through frogs and locusts and boils and blood to wake up these people and no one would wake up. God eventually takes their firstborn to get his people to be liberated from their bondage, all to make a point. And some people look at the Old Testament and say, oh, look, God is like a junior high girl. He's all emotional and he gets angry all the time. And oh, but the New Testament, well, that's Jesus. And he's like Mr. Rogers and he gives us back rubs and aromatherapy. That's the one we like. Well, let me talk about that for a minute, okay? Uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, he is the Lord who brought judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. These two people, they come to God and try and lie to God. God is concerned about the beginning of his church. Before it can you know, get going, these people are doing some stuff and lying to him. And they die. This could have been a heart attack on their part. It doesn't mean that God smote them there on the spot. But even if they had a heart attack, it's because they knew they were caught. And they understood the holiness of God. Anyone ever get killed in the church service? No, I haven't had it happen yet. Okay, it's been years, hasn't happened. I still hope it never happens. Unless it's me, and then I don't care. Then it'll be your problem, right? Whatever. Uh, 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And I read that and I think, well, I bet it did, right? You know, the, the words about this, the understanding of the holiness of God. An element doesn't pass a plate, right? But if we did, imagine you're, you're like, you know, uh, someone next to you like throws in a buck and they die. You'd be like, honey, how much money we got, right? You'd just be like, Maybe not. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 11. He is the Lord who brought judgment on the Corinthians. Now, this is a time, again, in the early church, it's getting going. Uh, the Corinthians are getting drunk at communion. If you get drunk at communion, you've got an issue. All right. Especially here. I mean, we do have wine, right? But you have to go around and suck every cup down. You might get a buzz. Maybe not much, but you know, it's, it's crazy, right? It's at, at communion. Now, at this time, communion for them was this big meal. Uh, we actually do meals once a year. We call them agape meals. We kind of do the same thing, but people are getting hammered at it. In reality, it wasn't about the drinking. It's about the selfish nature in which they did it. They were consumed with their own needs and not the needs of others. They're not living in wisdom. And so the people who had the most would jump in line first and take all that they wanted, while those who were the most needy got nothing. They got nothing. Paul says they were eating and drinking judgment upon themselves, and some of them had died because of it. In Revelation 14 and Revelation 19, he is the Lord who is coming to judge the living and the dead. When Jesus comes, he comes in humility. The second time, he's going to come in glory. The first time, he offers forgiveness. And the second time, he's bringing that forgiveness, but he also has justice. There's a reason the scriptures teach that Satan and demons fear Jesus. We watch these scary movies like The Exorcist, like, oh, my goodness, those things that freak you out. They are freaked out because of Jesus' power. That's crazy. That's crazy. And ultimately, he is the Lord who allowed his son to hang on the cross for our sins. And uh, Isaiah 53 or 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is what we talk about as the good news. God the Father lays all the wrath for our sins onto Jesus. When we look at the cross and we understand what Jesus did, we should understand how God actually feels about our sin. If the father is willing to allow his son to be beaten and whipped and speared and nailed and crucified, if he's willing to allow his son to die, he is willing to bring justice to our sin. And that's meant to be sobering in how we begin to live. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, the hands that shed, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. You ever tell a white lie? Say, oh, it's not a big deal. You ever think you're better than somebody else? Your heart ever devise things so you can get around somebody else to get something? Done. Ever done one of those? We should be a people who shouldn't boast and we should be repenting of our sin when our wisdom is clearly folly. And let me bring this together with this because I think this is the most important one is that he is also the Lord who loves his people. He is the Lord who loves his people. If we don't start with a proper fear of God and realize God hates sin, we're going to think sin's not a big deal. We're going to think, oh, God just loves me. But we need to understand that sin is a really big deal. And in that, when we begin to fear the Lord, we also understand that out of that, God's going to bring discipline to us in our lives. In Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father's son in whom he delights. It means when we love God and properly understand the fear of God, we understand that sometimes God disciplines us in our lives. You ever feel like God's swatting you on the bum to wake you up? Happens to me every single day, all the time. God loves us like a good parent loves us. No, you can't jump off the bunk. No, you can't play chicken with the car. No, you can't eat too much dirt. You know, he says good things, so we grow up. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I love how Proverbs 
talks. It just says it. NIV says this, Proverbs 16, 6, through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for, through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. A proper fear of the Lord. When we properly fear God, it leads to living in wisdom. And we start to live in a way that our culture begins to change around, around us because we honor him and how we live. Guys, do you understand if you are gullible or naive or don't think you're that bright, there are people who are probably functionally illiterate and many times they will have more wisdom than people with PhDs because they simply love Jesus for who he is first. It takes the Holy Spirit, not a high IQ. If you are looking for someone to mentor you in your life, look how somebody lives their life, not the words they say, but look at what they actually do. And I wanted to end with this. Uh, I found these somewhere. I don't know where, so they're stolen. But these are, these are eight things that when we properly fear God, you can excavate from the book of Proverbs. Okay? Number one, a wisdom by learning about God in life. When we, when we properly fear who God is, we get to learn about God and life in a proper way. Secondly, a disciplined life with order and purpose. We, we begin to live differently because of how God calls us to live. Thirdly, a discerning understanding of God and life. We begin to understand God better because we trust who he has revealed himself to be. Fourthly, an honorable life for prudence in doing what is right. Not doing what is right makes God love us more. But we, again, begin to live differently because it comes out of relationship first. Fifthly, there's a maturing wisdom if people are simple, naive, or impressionable. If you think you're just not that bright, you can't just get it. Well, read the book of Proverbs. Have a proper fear of the Lord, and God will begin to grow you in the places where you feel like you're impressionable. Sixthly, there's wisdom and discernment for people when they're young. Proverbs teaches that it's written for the young to actually grasp and understand and learn from it. Seventhly, there's an increased wisdom for those who are already wise. If you think you're really wise, you read the scriptures, you have a proper fear of God, you begin to grow and become more wise. There's always more wisdom to be had. And eighthly, an increased appetite for study, contemplation, and meditation on God's word. By living in wisdom, we understand the scriptures and God. I think one of the first questions all the scriptures point out is a question that we must answer for ourselves, and that is, who is God? When we step into any place in our life where we feel like we need to be fearful in that situation, we should take a step back and start to ask, what does this say about God? And what is God calling me into? And who is he calling me to be? Because then we'll have a proper fear of God and not fear those situations. We are meant to have a knowledge of God that leads to a fear of God, that gives a wisdom from God, that leads to a life that honors God, that gives birth to children who live and walk and worship God like their parents have. And the good news is that no matter how bad that we have messed things up, no matter how good or bad we think we've been in the past, no matter your financial condition, the grace of Jesus has been extended to every single one of us so we get to walk in wisdom and we get to be restored and live a life that honors Jesus in all we do. This is the beauty of living in a proper fear of the Lord, that God calls us by his grace and his mercy into relationship with him. So we get to be a people who live out that relationship because that's where everything starts and ends. Guys, God is all-powerful. God is all-good. God does be the God who, who speaks and creation moves. God has brought judgment in the past. And God has also spoken judgment on all of our sin. And he does that to offer us forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why we understand where Jesus says uh, in 1 John uh, 1, uh, 2, 1 and 2, he says, we have, we have an advocate before the Father. 
that our advocate is Jesus and he stands before God and he doesn't, he doesn't go to God and say, look at all these good things that they've done. What he does before the Father is he says, look what I have done for them. Because there is justice that came upon our sin and Jesus took care of all of it. Jesus advocates who he is in our place as our substitution for our sin. And we understand that God called sin, sin, and God brings justice, yet God also provided a way for us to also be saved. This should make us be a people who stand in awe of who God is and his holiness, but also in awe of his love and his grace as he rescues and saves us. This is why we go to communion. Communion is where you break that cracker and you, and you dip it in the wine. Dip it. Don't drink all the cups or the grape juice. And, you, and we take that in remembrance of what God has done, that Jesus' body was broken. Jesus' blood was shed for you and me because he is the Lord who loves his people. And he is the Lord who has called us back into relationship with him. And that's where the proper fear of the Lord begins and ends, in relationship with him. The band's going to come up. As they do, there can be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, maybe you're in a place today where you feel like you've been in a horrible situation, making horrible decisions, and that God is just sitting there waiting to crush you and destroy you and, and take you out. And, and you're maybe a little fearful in that way. They'd love to pray with you about that and help you begin to understand, to have a proper, fearful understanding of who God is and the way that God actually intends for his people to have it. That we understand his majesty and his goodness and his grace. That he is, he is bringing us to places where our hearts are fully undone before him. Where we understand his goodness in what we do and how we respond. Because our God has called us into relationship with him first. There's offering boxes next to every one of the doors. Uh, and we invite you to, to give because God gave so much to us. Again, we don't pass the plate. Uh, there is food outside. We invite you to grab something to eat, meet some other people, take some sermon notes, ask some questions. We had some great questions last week in our gospel community. Uh, like one of the guys in our gospel community, when he was a kid, uh, someone in their church was dying. And they, and they told everybody in the church that they needed to fast. And, and if everybody didn't fast, you know, it would be bad news. And, and he goes, and I was hungry, so I ate. And he goes, and for years, he goes, I felt like I killed him. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> um, and and it, t- it took him a really long time to get to the place to understand grace, that he didn't actually kill that person, that God is still sovereign, even above him wanting a snack. You know, it's, it's the idea that we don't live in a fear of God, that God wants to crush us. We live in this fearful understanding of God, that yes, God is holy and gracious, and God is also good. And God does everything he does to bring us back into relationship with him. That all the sin that separated us from him, he took care of. And that should place the value in our relationship with God above all other things. And we should be undone in our hearts and our lives as we seek to love God because he loved us back. And so talk to one another about some of those questions about what it means to properly fear God and, and not and what that kind of looks like you know, throughout the course of our lives. We help one another to grow, to understand this better. Because again, as I always say, our God is good. Our God is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people, again, who live and walk in a proper fear and understanding of who you are. That you would grow us in our understandings of grace, the amazing grace that has been given to us. And that as we understand your grace, we would also understand your glory and your majesty and your power. That we would be a people who, who sit and look at you and are, and are just awestruck by your power and your glory. That we would be a people who would see you, maybe as Isaiah did, and be like, oh my goodness, 
I am undone. I am undone because we'd see the places in our lives where we are not living in your wisdom and not trusting you. And that it wouldn't cause us to run and hide from you in shame and guilt. It would cause us instead to turn to you. An understanding of your great grace that has been given to us to be in relationship with you. And that we would then take the relationship we have with you and put more value in that than anything else. So that we'd be a people who properly live in wisdom because we properly fear the Lord. And that we wouldn't be afraid of the term fear of the Lord. It would be a term that we'd understand also sits right in the middle of grace. And that we would live out that grace in all that we do. We would live out the wisdom that you have provided. Because we first fear you above all things. Thank you for loving us and showing us such great grace. And we ask all that we do in your son's good name. Amen.